ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, פרחנוכם מבייס השם. אאוץ'. Good evening and welcome back. There's no fresca in Brooklyn. Sorry. There is, I'm sure, fresca in Brooklyn, but there's no uh, fresca here. This Shabbos, Shabbos Parsh Mishpotim. Shabbos Mevarchim HaChedesh. Shabbos Mevarchim HaChedesh, the Shabbos that we bench... We bless the new month, the new month of other, Adar. How exciting. How so very, very exciting. Mishanichnas Adar Marb Besimcha. As Adar comes in, we add in Simcha. How much more so when we're dealing with the true simcha of Teda, true simcha of Geula, of redemption. Pash Mishpatim is a very, very rich parish, as we know. 53 mitzvahs. 23 positive commandments and 30 negative. 23 commandments, mitzvah say and 30 leisase. Pash Mishpatim has a basic. Ve'ela HaMishpatim is a continuation. Rashi tells us Ve'ela, the Vav, is a continuation of the previous Pasha. Just like the previous parsha was said in Sinai, so too is this one. The parsha of Mishpatim was also said on Har Sinai. That was cool. All the dinim, all the laws that are expressed in this parsha, as a teda, having basically a very generalization of the entire teda, of all the mitzvahs in this very parsha. One such mitzvah is called Almona V'yasayim Leitza Anun. The widow and the orphan may not torture. And before I continue, I'd like to reiterate, in case you did not get the invitation yet via email for Purim, or if you got it and it doesn't open up, let me know. 
doesn't open up. Aha, you should have taken, you should have sent me that right away message. Because I sent you the wrong one. Um, but the invitation is a very sincere one. We would like to see everybody on Purim. And especially since it's a Sunday, so you can take off a weekend, but be even cuter. You can fly out to New York or ride up to New York on a Thursday night or a Sunday, Friday morning. And then you can st- spend the entire Purim <coughs> eating and drinking with us. How much more exciting could you think Purim could get? So the month of Adar, when we say Mishinichnas Adar Marab Besimcha, the first thing we think about is Purim. Our theme this year is very interesting. My son pointed out, my brother has an annual calendar for his Chabad of Brentwood. And in their Chabad calendar, their Purim page, their other page, Al-Qupanim, already discusses the theme of this year's Purim party. We're not like that, unfortunately. We're not so advanced. We're just putting the nuts together in the bolts. And of course, we understand since it's Matzah Shabbos Kaidish, the theme will be Sudas David Malka Meshicha. The Suda of David Hamelech. To give a taste of Purim. Because that's what Shabbos Mevarchim is all about. Shabbos Mevarchim blesses the entire month. And therefore it would only be proper to give a taste of Purim. The taste of Purim would be to give a story of Malava Malka. Part of our will be just that. There will be a little booklet, a pamphlet, hopefully we'll be able to put together with God's help. And there will be a story, a Malavamalka story. And there will be all the explanations that we can possibly conjure up and put together and print. Whoops. Oh, this is not easy. That we can conjure up possibly um, of the customs of Matzah Shabbos Kedish. Now, one of the customs of Matzah Shabbos Kedish that is most popular, of course, is the washing formula of Malka for Sudas David Malka Meshicha. (laughs) 
And that is Mirat Hashem. Really, another one of the goals that we are headed for, that we are aiming for. be to have inspire al the people with the mitzvah of Mishleach Manais of, um, of Malka of Siddhas David Malka Meshicha um, we are trying to add him on here hold on hold on hold on over here we gotta do one thing at a time um okay Cancel from here. Close this page. I am so confused with what's going on in this computer right now. I can't begin to tell you. Get me back my group. This is the group. No, no, no. It doesn't work this way. I have to call him. Okay. <laughs> He's relentless. Okay, I gotta get him in here. I can't find him. How come I can't find him now? Okay, let's see. The Balshama Kodesh, amongst his beautiful customs and powers, the Balshamtev. Had Shluchim, where he told the Shluchim to go to certain places and to do the missions that he wanted. One particular Chassid was sent to be a Rav in a certain city. He was sent to be a Rav in a certain city. <coughs> and as he served there, he served quite faithfully. Until unfortunately, he met with a slight mishap. The mishap caused many repercussions. Okay, let me see. No, I can't do that. I can't put everybody on hold. I have to... Uh, let me just... I should have accepted him on the phone. I left to go well enough alone. I can't find him here. He's not coming up on my screen. Let me call him back here. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first mishap that the Chassid met up with first mishap that he met up with he was sitting one day and learning and he got very very thirsty and as he got very thirsty it was unquenchable his thirst 
In those days, you couldn't just go over to the tap or to the supermarket to buy fresca to the tap to get a glass of water. One had to have the water carrier bring him water from the river. Now, if the water carrier's water had finished, it was a dilemma. And this unquenchable thirst was driving the rabbi crazy. And he looked out his window and he saw and he saw the water carrier. But the water carrier was walking past his house. And as the water carrier carried on past his house, he tried to call out to him. And Shuldik, excuse me. But as he called, the water carrier ignored. His call was being ignored. I lost him. Okay. His call was being ignored, and the water carrier just kept walking on and on away from the rabbi. Now, this was not acceptable. The rabbi of the town had to be respected. And a fellow couldn't just walk away from the rabbi like that. So as he called more and more, and the person kept walking on, finally the rabbi got so frustrated, he left his office, and he ran after the water carrier and walked over and slapped him across the face. Unbeknownst to the rabbi, The water carrier was a hidden tzaddik. And he was going to a meeting of hidden tzaddikim. And he was carrying water for the tzaddikim. And all of a sudden now, the rabbi had slapped him across the face. Heavenly court was not happy, to say the least. A short while later, a certain chassid, a certain Talmud Chacham, had, who sat and learnt all day long, had lost his money. He had no money left. He exhausted whatever. He went bust. But that was financially not terror-wise. And therefore, his situation became very dire. And... He was at a loss with himself. I'm going to disconnect you from my phone. Hopefully you're going to come up on the computer. But the community knew this man as being a Talmud Chacham, as a learned person. And the community was behind him. And the community rallied behind him. One second, one second, one second. Let me add you. 
and the community rallying behind him saw to it that a stipend was collected weekly and secretly distributed to this Talmud Chacham. And every week the man had his stipend, it was enough to support his family, Baruch Hashem, and he was sitting and learning Torah. One week a little dilemma hit the uh, system, and the poor people of the town didn't have enough food, there was not enough money to go around. And they came to the Rav, and the Rav said, Who said everyone has to give all their charity, all their tzedakah to the port to the Talmud Chacham? Let some of the money go to the poor people, rather. And the Talmud Chacham will get less. Unbeknownst to the Rabbi, by saying that, he caused a little friction now, and then threw a little doubt into the mind of the people, thinking that, you know, maybe this Talmud Chachim doesn't really deserve all the support that we've been giving him, and therefore, the people started to cut back on the stipend for the Talmud Chachim. Eventually, people cut back so much so on the stipend of the Talmud Chacham that they didn't give anything to the Talmud Chacham anymore at all. Talmud Chacham was, was, was heartbroken. The first Friday came and there was no money distributed to the Talmud Chacham. He had no money for his family. He didn't know where the money was coming from till now. But his prayers to God were that whoever cut it off his salary should be dealt with. And so again, the chassid of the Baal Shem Tev, the, ta- the rabbi of the town, was found guilty in the heavenly courts. And for these two severe issues, which ordinarily for the regular person would not be severe. But for a Talmud Chacham such as this man, a Chosid like this man, these misdemeanors in Bezdin Shamayla were severe. And hence, it was decreed in heaven that the man be given over to the Satan himself. Uh, yeah, it got attacked last morning already. The pregnant and the pregnant test. Morty and Chaimushka. And. The Sultan decided instead of killing the man. He would do one thing worse. He would attack him spiritually. 
he will get this man in such a predicament and situation that he will make him convert. And that very next Shabbos, after davening, when the Rav took off, his, the Rav was finished davening, he suddenly had this strange yearn in his heart. He wanted to convert to Christianity, and he picked up and started to run to the house of the priest. And he arrived at the house of the priest. Priest opens the door and sees him there and says, Rabbi, what are you doing here? I mean, he, he secretly respected this rabbi. He, the rabbi was a great person. He was a chassid of the Bashem to fart. And the rabbi said, I want to convert. <laughs> the joy in the priest's heart was unmeasurable. Come, come inside, come inside. And he sat him down and he gave him a very, very, very large repast. And Kiddush was made on whiskey. It was not Kiddush, obviously, but it was a quite a mug of whiskey. And the rabbi, not being used to consuming such amounts, immediately was put to a bed and went to sleep. No, in bed. Shabbos tarried on. Suddenly, the Balshemta began his Shalashudas custom. The Shalashudas custom of the Balshemta. <laughs> you sit on this side, right? The Balshemta's custom by Sudash Lishit. Was he started to search for his students? He would search for each one of his students to know where they were and to see what prayers they needed. And he found every student except for this one. And as he looked and searched for this chassid, he finally saw him lying there on the bed in the Galak's house. And he realized that this is why he couldn't find him. And he realized that the man was sitting there, the chassid was sitting there, waiting to Rahman al-Tzlan convert. As the Bashemtiv heard this, the Bashemtiv began to pray. The Bashemtiv ran up to the heavenly courts and started to beseech on behalf of the Chassid. But as the Bashemtiv davened, the Bezan Shemaila refused. And he brought another reason, and a third, and a fourth, and finally, Bezan would not agree to allow him to free him up. Finally, the Bashemtiv said, He has one major mitzvah. One major merit, one major schus that he has that he has never reneged on. And for this merit, he should be allowed to be exonerated. And that is the merit of washing for Suda, Malava Malka, Suda's David, Malka Meshicha. Every Matzai Shabbat, every Matzai Shabbos, he made sure to wash for Malava Malka. Discuss it. One who's in the priest's house. And therefore the Bashemtiv said, in this merit, 
he should be freed. And Bezdel Shemayla said, on one condition we'll do it. If this Matzah Shabbos, he washes from love Malka. Now what are the chances, my friends, this Chassid is lying there, drunk, out cold, unconscious, in the house of a Galach, that Eliyahu and is going to sit down with him and have love Malka. But as soon as Shabbos was over, the Baal Shem Tov called over one of his Chassidim, one of his Talmidim, and he gave him a loaf of bread, a loaf of chal, and he said, Go! Nobody knew what was happening. And the Chassid had no idea where he was heading. But the Bashemta said, Go! He picked up and went. He took a few steps, and suddenly he found himself in front of this strange house, a house that he had never seen before, the house of the Galach. And he knocks on the door, and the Galach opens the door and he comes inside and he sees him there. He says, oh, two fish in one day, this is amazing. Brings him to the room where the Chassid is lying, the, rab- the, rab- the rabbi of the town. The Chassid wakes up, the Rav, and he shows him the Chala from the Baal Shem Tov. The Chassid grabs it and is about to tear a piece off and eat it. And he says, whoa, 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 you didn't convert yet. Till you convert, you're still Jewish. As long as you're Jewish, you have to wash. <laughs> so he said, okay. And he got water and he washed. And he made a meitzi on the challah. And as soon as he made a meitzi on the challah, which means that he ultimately washed now from Lava Malka, the decree was nullified. And the Chassid told him, come, we have to leave here. At this point he realized what happened to him. That he was on the verge of converting Rahman al-Tzlan. He said, how can I ever rectify this? How can I ever repair the damage that I have just done? And the Bashemta said, and the Chassid said, we'll ask the Bashemta. And he said, the Baal Shem Tov is thousands of, or hundreds of miles away from here. How will we get to the Baal Shem Tov? The Chassid said, I came this evening from the Baal Shem Tov, we'll get you back. And they took a few steps, and suddenly they were standing in Mezhubuz, and the Baal Shem Tov was still sitting by the table, and the Baal Shem Tov brought the Chassid into his house, and found him a tikkun, what had he had done. We see therefore <coughs> the great schus of washing Besudas David Malka Mashiach. I don't know if we're going to print this story in the, bu- in the booklet. <laughs> Just getting bigger and bigger. But it is a prelude, as we said before, to upcoming holiday of Purim. Being that it is Shabbos Mavarchim and Mishinichna's other Marm Besimcha, we have to prepare because the month of Adar has so many things to it. It has, starting with next week, we're going to discuss Meshra Rabbeinu's birth and Zayin Adar. And of course, Purim, which will be the following week. That's Hashem. That's what he's up to.
The Shkhedi Shadr is always two days. What's the Shadr? So it'll be Shabbos Sunday and Monday. So on Saturday night in Maidavari, we have to remember to say Yalav Yavai. If we do not remember Yalav Yavai, by Maidav, we do not repeat Shmanesre. Because the halach is we are not mekadesh the chedesh by night, therefore we don't repeat shmenesa by ma'ariv. <coughs> Unlike by chalamayid, where if we miss ma'ariv shmenesa by alav yavei on chalamayid, we do repeat shmenesa. The chedesh we don't. There is a hechatim says asked, how is it possible? I may have asked this before. How is it possible that Maidiv Rishchidish by the Shmanesa for Maidiv Rishchidish we should forget Yalav Yavai and have to repeat Shmanesa? I just said the halacha is we don't repeat Shmanesa. How is it possible we should have to repeat Shmanesa? There's a halacha. If we forget Rechman al-Tzlan for example, if someone falls asleep and doesn't have a mayor son, then in the morning, by Shachris, he has to say two Shman essays. One is for Shachris, and one is to make up for Mayrev. The same is if a person forgot Mincha, he does two Shman essays by Mayrev. If a person forgot to daven Meir Rishchidosh, and the next day he says Shmenesre and he says Yalav Yavai, and the second Shmenesre repetition that he repeats Shmenesre for Meiriv, he forgets Yalav Yavai. He would have to repeat that Shmenesre, even though it's a Meiriv Shmenesre, a Meiriv we just said we don't repeat, but in that case because it's daytime already. He would have to repeat Shmanesri. That would be the similar din if a person on Friday forgot Mincha, he says two Shmanesis Friday night, he'll say two Shmanesis of Shabbos, not one of weekday. So, Matzah Shabbos, we start to Shredish. And on Sunday, Mietzim, this Kriya Satera, of course, we read from the Torah to Shredish. And halal, half halal, not full halal. Shkedish would not say full halal. We say barchinavshi, sheshayim, of course. And then there's musaf. Musaf is not davened in tefillin. We remove the tefillin before musaf. And as we have, we're talking about Shkedish. And as we have in Kiddusha, in the repetition, of Shachris, we have Nagdishach, and the repetition of Musaf, as we have on Shabbos and Yamtiv, the repetition we say, Keta Yitnu Lecha. If you're in Shul, and the minion, you are still wearing your tefillin, however, a minion is davening Musaf, and they are saying, Keta Yitnu Lecha, you have to cover your Sharosh. You have to cover the headpiece of tefillin, Shulchan Aruch, 
because the Keter Yitnodacha we have on our head. But we're referring to another, to a different Keter when we talk about a Musaf. And therefore we don't want to say my Keter is greater or less than yours. So therefore we cover the Keter of Tefillin Shadosh. With your Talit. Unless you don't wear a Talit, you cover it with your hat. If you don't wear a hat, cover it with a yarmulke. If you don't wear a yarmulke, <laughs> okay, you should not be wearing to on cover. Bosik tells us, Leisia maskela veakora barzacha, barzacha, es mispar yomecha amali. A beautiful bracha which we'd like to wish everybody here. Everybody listening now and everybody that's going to listen to Mir Tzajem. Leisiye maskeilo mishakeilo excuse me. Leisiye mishakeilo v'akora b'artzecho that God forbid there should never be a miscarriage or a barren woman that does not have children in your land and as Mispah Yamecha Amale, the days of your day of your life, I will fill. Actually, is a very very. Relevant pasuk to our life. It's relevant to the way we serve God. Sometimes a person serves God and he feels either the love or the fear of God. But after a certain amount of time, this feeling, this emotion, ceases. And he doesn't devote it to the love or the fear into his service to God. This is, says Chassidus, the level of Mishakela and Akora. A miscarriage or a barrenness because a service to God, any mitzvah we do, has to bear fruits. The fruits of a mitzvah are called teldes, the children of the mitzvah. The offspring. The offspring of the mitzvah, thank you. And by a person lacking feeling, fear or love of God, they are not allowing the mitzvah to have any kind of continuity. The Pasuk tells us, what is the reason for this? Be Artsecha. Artsecha in your land, the word Artsecha is also the lotion of Rotzain, of want, of will. When the person feels the fulfillment of his will, and the pleasure of his service, 
then a person can accomplish what they need to. But if the person serving God only for his own benefit, then it does not have any kind of existence to it afterwards. But the actual what you're doing right now though isn't. You can You can if you keep doing it. But the person might lose because the person has no feeling towards it. Might not. It doesn't it's not a promise. It, I mean, the person. The fact of the matter is, Mishachata, Yoshev, person that does a, that does a sin will ultimately do tshuva. But it's not again. You cannot sin and say I will do tshuva afterwards. You cannot start a mitzvah, shalei lishma, and then hope it'll become lishma. You have to just keep persevering until you do. Yeah, but you have to persevere. But as Mispad Yamecha Amali, the Almighty promises that the amount of days will be fulfilled. When a person considers and calculates the days that he lives and exists in this world, the only person realizes they only have a certain amount of time on this world. And therefore the person needs to utilize each and every moment to do and to succeed and to fulfill the want and the Yearnings of God. Once a person depicts life as such, a person begins to realize that he has no time for his own pleasures in life. There is no time for stopping for this. Because, Mispar Yamecha Amale, I will fill your days. How will how does one fulfill their days? How does one fill their moments and their hours, the value? They are valuable only if they are doing exactly what they need to be done. Go to any factory, go to any business. The employee of the week ultimately worked the same amount of hours as any other employee. Why are they the employee of the week? Because they gave it their all. They devoted every moment of their job to their job. And therefore when a person thinks or does something, sometimes for his own benefit, rather than for the service of God, he may even be desecrating God's will. But when a person takes the attitude that I am doing everything to serve God, then we come to the Pasuk Lysia, Shakela Akora. Now there's many different explanations on this particular Pasuk actually, in reference to what is the blessing what is the warning prior to that, etc. We're not going to go into that right now. I'd like to move on to, or not move on to, but go back to, revert to the beginning of the parsha. one of the mitzvahs, the many mitzvahs the Torah tells us, and in a very interesting way. Im kesef talva es ami. If you will loan money to my nation. 
It doesn't say, as you will give a loan to somebody, if you will give this loan. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think, and it's not allowed, of course, to think that way, but my hands, my strength, I earned this money. It was my know-how, my ingenuity, my talent that earned me this money. Tells you, Tata, no, im kesef tal v'ami. If it will, you will come to the realization that you are loaning money, that's my money really. And you are loaning this to the nation, to my people. Then you come to a different level. The third Chabad Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, his mother passed away at a very young age. And therefore was raised by his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. After Chavdal Tevis, when the Alter Rebbe passed away, the Tzemach Tzedek still had the honors of seeing his grandfather. Whether it be in a dream, or sometimes even by day, the Al-Tarebbe would come to him. And at times the Al-Tarebbe would come to him, when he was sitting and learning, and he was confused, and he was missing something. There was something lacking in his learning. Something that he couldn't figure out. And the Al-Tarebbe would appear to him, and explain to him what he was learning. There was one time, Semach Tzedek was very involved in a certain sugya, a certain study, and he could not figure out what it was. He was confused. And he was very, very intrigued or pressured to see his grandfather, to hear from his grandfather an explanation. But his grandfather was not coming. The next morning as he was going to shul, he was walking through the marketplace and a poor person walked over to him and said, Tell me, Rebbe, could you loan me three rubles, please? And this way I can do my business dealings in the market and at the end of the day I will surely pay you back or tomorrow morning the latest. The person would take the three ruble and he would wheel and deal until he turned over enough. <laughs> they tell the story of the fellow that came to somebody and he says, I have this item to sell. He says, really, I'm very interested in this item. I do a lot of this business with this item. How much is it? She so gives him a price. He says, Michigana, it's not possible. I've never paid such a price for this item. I've never paid something so low. So the guy says to him, neither do I. He says, what do you mean you don't... (laughs) You're selling him for 50 cents? And you paid 54 cents for it? He says, yes. He says, how do you expect to make money? He says, I sell bulk. (laughs) I'll sell a lot of it. Maybe I'll make money. Yeah. Anyway, 
in wheeling and dealing in the marketplace, it didn't work that way, obviously. You had your three ruble, you turned your three ruble in the course of the day. It was called day trading. That's the day trading started hundreds of years ago. They did the day trading in the market. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Day trading in the marketplace became day trading in the market. Okay. And they made their few ruble for the week. Anyway, the Tzavotzedek told the man, Rabbi, I'm going to daven now. After davening, come to my house and I'll surely give you the money. Tzavotzedek came to Shul, put his talus on his shoulder, was about to start to daven, was going to get, put on his talus, and he says to himself, what am I doing? What I say? All the deals start in the early morning. This fellow is going to wait until midday when I finish davening. And I'm first going to come give him money. He's going to miss his whole market. He put down his talus. And he ran home. And he grabbed five rubles and he ran to the marketplace. Now already the marketplace is filling up. It wasn't so easy to find him, but he found the fellow. And he gave him five rubles and he says, pay me back. So it said he came to shul. Put his talus on the shoulder again and started to wash his hands before davening. And as he was washing his hands, there in front of him appeared the Alter Rebbe, his grandfather. And the Alter Rebbe told him, for such a selfless mitzvah, for such Avas Yisrael, you deserved the revelation, you earned it, and the Altarev explained everything that the fellow, that the Samotzedek didn't remember, didn't know what it was. Sometimes the Teda uses wording that we, you know, in the world it's not so uncommon to have a play on words. And the Tater uses sometimes this play on words that the regular explanation might be different, but without the play on words we wouldn't understand it. The Pasik tells us in the beginning of the Pasha another one of the very interesting mitzvahs. If a man plots deliberately against another Jew to kill him, and he hits him to kill him. The wording here is, he should be removed from my altar to be killed. So first of all, is v'chiyazid, he plotted. It was bemazed. He purposely wanted to do this. He set out. It was premeditated. Rashi tells us, Mizbechi, what does it mean? What does the altar have to do with this? If he happened to be a Koyan and he wanted to serve in the temple, he should be taken away from there and killed. We're going to teach you another halacha today. There's a halacha 
which is later on in our parsha, called Basar Basode Trefa Lakelef Tashlichon Oisei. An animal can be deemed teref. How does an animal get deemed teref? If the animal is slaughtered properly, and then the sheikhet or the baidik, either the slaughterer or the supervisor, opens the animal's chest cavity and has to reach inside the animal. Now I want to tell you that the inside of the animal is not pretty. No, it's not a not a pretty. It's not cool. And I don't mean that in the hip way of saying it. A person's body temperature is 98.6. The animal is hotter. So now once the animal is slaughtered, the body temperature is still hot. It's not, co- it's not cold yet. And the man has to open up the belly and stick his hand into the chest cavity. People got blisters on their arms from this. The heat was so intense. And then they have to dissect the animal, and you take it, you check the lungs, and they check the liver, they check the heart, to make sure that the animal didn't have any kind of diseases that ordinarily would have killed the animal. If the animal is healthy, then it's kosher. Bear in mind... Bear in mind... that we don't know that when we get the animal on the block. When the animal is being slaughtered, we don't know what goes on inside the animal. <laughs> they tell the story of a woman, I've told this before, I believe, used to come every Friday to the rabbi right before Shabbos, an hour before Shabbos, with a chicken. And she would say, Rebbe, the chicken, the rabbi, the chicken's kosher. And the rabbi would check it, and whatever you can check with a chicken that's funny, you making sure the leg bones are not broken, this is not broken, that's not broken. And he would say, yeah, it's kosher. And this went on week after week after week. Finally, one day the rabbi says, why do you keep coming back to me? Every week you have a quick, you come ask me, about, says the rabbi, the people told me that the shop right chickens weren't kosher. <laughs> and she wrote it to the rabbi. The rabbi used to tell it was kosher every week. He didn't know it wasn't slaughtered. He just looked at a chicken, a final product. The ch- therefore, if an animal was brought up on the altar to be sacrificed, and we found out that it was Taref afterwards. It was on the Mizbeach already. It was not obligated to take it off. Because the Kayan is not his fault that he slaughtered, or the person that brought the animal is not his fault that he brought an animal that was not kosher. Ultimately, the person had to replace it or whatever. But the, right now, the bottom line, the guy did nothing wrong. Be'arma also could mean in a deceitful way. Ish, a person planned out how was going to be the armor, what would be the, the, the secret? He was going to say that this person had a tremendous, terrible illness. Now in the Jewish religion we don't make autopsies. 
You don't do autopsy, you don't know how sick the person was. So when he killed the person, he says, Hey, it was a dying man. He was, a, he was Dr. Kevorkian. <laughs> Dr. Kevorkian, people of Rahman al-Sun came to Dr. Kevorkian when they had terminal illnesses. And there was no hope for them. And they would come to him and they would ask him to kill them. Put them to death. And he would set them up with a machine and he put in whatever in the IV, whatever it was, and killed the person. The person didn't want to be shot or slaughtered. But the person knew that they wouldn't be able to over to live with the illness of one of the son. Should never be tested. So they go to Dr. Kavorkian to kill him. Ultimately he was put away. He was put away from murder. Huh? Yeah. So the person came by Orma and he said, I killed this person, but this person was going to die anyway. Says the Taylor, take him away from my Mizbeach. He cannot do the same thing that we do by the Mizbeach with the animal. That we say later, oh, it would have been Tref anyway, or it was Tref anyway. With a person that doesn't work. And with a person, if a person is well or not well, whatever it is, you have no, you are not the judge. You cannot say the person should be killed or not be killed. Huh? Another such mitzvah, we'd like to quickly tell another story of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was traveling with his Talmidim once, and he lost his feeling of Kedusha. He lost all the sanctity. Shemtev always used to feel the Kedusha in him, wherever he would go. When they would mount the horses, Alexei, the, the, the guy, Alexei, the horse rider, Alexei, would sit on the wagon and go to sleep. But the horses knew where the Bashantav had to go. Here all of a sudden, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, they were running around in the middle of a forest and they were lost. They were lost. And the Bashantav had no, he couldn't feel anything. He felt like a regular person. It was Friday morning, and they needed to settle somewhere for Shabbos. And they see in the distance a house, a hut. And as they approach it, there's this gruff fellow standing in the doorway. Torn, tattered clothing. And as they dismount from the wagon, he starts screaming at them, Get out of here! I don't want you here. You're chassidim. I don't want chassidim in my house. And they begged and they pleaded and he said, Nothing doing, you're not coming into my house. And finally they offered to pay him an exorbitant amount of money. He couldn't refuse the money and he let them in. And he said, listen, here there's a few conditions. I'm tired, I had a hard week, and I'm hungry. When I'm hungry, I want my food. Don't you sit and start with your davening business. Where you're going to daven for hours and sing songs, I'm not interested. And if you sing songs, you're going to call the, you're going to attract attention to the non-Jews around here, I don't want the shtick. You're going to be here, my guest, you're going to daven quickly, and eat what I serve. The Chassidim had no choice, 
the Bashem Tov, and they davened as fast as this man could daven. And then it came to make Kiddush, and the man insisted, I'm making Kiddush, and you listen. And they begged and pleaded, we'll pay him more, more money after Shabbos, he said, nothing doing. But they knew he couldn't read. They didn't want to have Yetzir with his Kiddush, I can't read. But they had no choice. And he made Kiddush, and his Shabbos was now as miserable as it can get. Then he gave them all a bowl of, one bowl of soup for everybody. And everybody had to eat out of the same bowl. He took the challah, he said, don't anybody touch my challah. And he made the mitzi, and he sliced everyone a chunk. They wanted to sing Zmiris, he wouldn't let. And finally, they went to sleep. By the time they got up next morning, the man was already running around making his shachas. He was davening at full speed ahead and he was barely murmuring words. Shabbos was a catastrophe. On Saturday night they couldn't leave. It was dark in the forest. There was no headlights on the horses. Sunday morning they wanted to leave and the guy says, no, 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 you can't leave yet. I made breakfast. He said, we'll pay you for the breakfast. Let us out. No. And he detained them. Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday morning, they were ready to leave. They had no choice because they already paid him everything they had for food and for lodging. They gave him everything they had. Suddenly this regal looking woman walks in the house. Dressed beautifully. You could see this woman. And she says, Shalom Aleichem Rebbe. Rebbe, will you please spend Shabbos with us? One more Shabbos. Hashem Tov was shocked. Who are you? Where did you come from? And how do you know I'm a Rebbe? And why are you inviting us? And why do you even think that we would stay here? Rebbe, you don't recognize me? He says, no. Rebbe, many years ago, a little orphan child, a little orphan girl, was brought to your house. And your wife took me in, and she took care of me. Unfortunately, I was an orphan, and I was on the street for weeks and months, and I had lice in my hair. Where is it? I had lice in my hair. And the Rebetzin, the wife, was combing out my hair. And I was crying and I flinched. And I wouldn't let her do it. And she reached over and she slapped me. She slapped me out of anger. And you sat there, Rebbe, and saw this and didn't say anything. A little orphan girl with no mother or father, you saw her get slapped and didn't say anything in my defense. The heavenly courts went crazy. And they took away your world to come. My husband is a hidden tzaddik. And we got married and we found out that this decree was put against you because of me. 
And we prayed and prayed to try to nullify it, but nothing helped. Finally, the heavenly court said, if one Shabbos of the Bashemtas is ruined, if for one Shabbos he does not have any of his spirituality, he will be forgiven. That was great, but who is going to do that? Who is going to cause the Bashemt of anguish and pain on the Shabbos? Finally, my husband and myself decided we would do it so that the Bashemtiv should get back his world to come. And this past Shabbos, my husband did it very, very well, apparently. But this Shabbos, we will compensate, we will make up for it. And immediately, as she, the Bashemtiv heard the story, his Ruach HaKadosh returned, his great sense of spirituality returned to him, and as the the orphan child forgave him, so too did the heavenly court, and so too will we be forgiven for anything and everything that we've done to anything and anyone, and the Almighty will forgive us and grant forgiveness, and grant to each and every one of us, Bona Chayim Zayna Ravicha, children, children's children, that the Torah will not leave from our children's mouths, or our great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren's mouths, and we will merit to hear this Shabbos, words of Torah from Mashiach Tzidkenu in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, Shabbat Shalom to all. Amen. And we'll see you Purim, I hope.